Was anybody praying that the AC come on? Your prayers have been answered. I want to take as my text this morning a portion of that second reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1158. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, which I'd like us to read again just so it's fresh in our minds. Galatians chapter 6, found on page 1158 and beginning at verse 7 in which the apostle says, And do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the households of faith. This morning, I want to talk about the harvest principle. The harvest principle. And there are two things in particular that I'd like us to notice about the harvest principle. And the first is how the harvest principle works. How it works. Indeed, notice again verses in 7 and 8. And do not be deceived, Paul says. God is not marked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Simply put, as we have it in verse 7, the harvest principle is this. Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. And so, for example, if we sow wheat seeds, when the harvest time comes, we harvest wheat. Or if we sow grape seeds, when the harvest comes, we harvest grapes. Or if we plant barley seeds, When the time comes to reap and to gather the harvest, we harvest barley, and so on it goes. And while whatever one sows, that shall he also reap, it is a proverbial saying with a broad application. It's more than that. Indeed, the harvest principle is a statement about an inescapable truth about cause and effect. And Paul says that understanding the harvest principle is of great importance. Indeed, he says about it, don't be deceived. (laughs) That is, don't get this principle wrong, or, or don't imagine that you can somehow beat this principle, because in the end, the principle will work itself out. If you plant wheat seeds, you're going to get wheat, no matter how much you might wish to the contrary. Indeed, Paul says God is not mocked, which seems, so maybe seems a sort of a strange thing. But that, that is to say that, that, that God has made the harvest principle part of his creative and moral universe. 
indeed anyone living in God's universe, for that person, which is all of us, the harvest principle is inescapable. As Paul says, God is not mocked. That is, no one makes a fool of God by beating the harvest principle. Indeed, one might say that we're the fools if we should ever imagine that we can beat it. Now, of course, there's all sorts of illustrations of this in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. One that came immediately to my mind as I was looking this over was Psalm 37, verses 12 and 13, where we read this, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him in rage and contempt, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. For the Lord sees that his day is coming. That's the harvest principle. Whatever one sows, that shall he also reap. And so understanding the harvest principle is very important. And here's how the principle works, more specifically, both negatively and positively. As Paul says in verse 8, if we sow to the flesh, that is our fallen nature, those that thing that lives inside you that urges you on to do what you know is wrong. If we sow to that, if we sow to the flesh, if we sow to sin, we will of the flesh reap corruption, Paul says. That is, we will reap not a harvest of goodness, not a harvest of spiritual fruitfulness, not something good, but rather when we sow to that, we will reap a harvest of corruption. That is a harvest of rottenness, a thing that neither, neither, I, neither we would be impressed with and certainly God is not impressed with it. If you like, a harvest of death, spiritual and physical as well. Indeed, Romans 6 and verse 23 says very clearly, and I know some of you know this because I, at least one of you does because you quoted this a couple weeks, at, a couple weeks ago at men's. Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages or the payment, the outcome, the harvest of sin is death. Or in that same letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So says Paul. And what does it mean to live according to the flesh? Well, Paul goes into some detail even in this fifth chapter of his letter to the Galatians about what it means to walk in the Spirit and what it means to live according to the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, at the first part of it, he starts, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. There's conflict there. The, 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 what the flesh desires is not what the flesh desires. They are contrary to one another. In verse 19, and the works of the flesh are evident. And what are they? The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. You don't have to leave the church to find these things if we're walking in the flesh. 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then he says, which makes us almost shudder, and I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul says in the second half of verse 8, that if we sow to the Spirit, <laughs> if we allow the Spirit of God to fill us and direct us, in fact, that's another thing he says in Romans chapter 8. All those who are children of God are led by the Spirit. <laughs> if we sow to the Spirit, <laughs> if we sow to that, if we invest in that, if we give ourselves to that, if we sow to the Spirit, we will also of the Spirit reap eternal life. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? that ends in a harvest of eternal life. Well, back again in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it doesn't call, he doesn't call it the fruit of the flesh. Because there is no fruit. It's rottenness. But the Spirit produces that which is good. Fruitfulness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> Agape, self-sacrificing kind of love. The kind of love you see in the person of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And you say, well, I can't love like that. <laughs> no, you can't. But you can love like that if the Spirit is inspiring you. If you're sowing to the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy <laughs> and peace. It's contentment, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, <laughs> gentleness or humility, and self-control. And so that's the first thing, understanding how the harvest principle works. And secondly, Paul talks further about making the harvest principle work for good. To, to make it work for good, and that both for ourselves and for others. It's interesting indeed. Notice verses 9 and 10 again. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, or when the harvest time comes, we will reap. And so this doing good is a sort of a parallel to, to sowing. <laughs> I'm sowing the seeds of goodness. And let us not grow weary in doing good or sowing good. For in due season, at the time of harvest, we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Have you ever felt like giving up? <laughs> Let somebody else do it. <laughs> Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. I have to believe that this was a primary principle in the life of Paul. What was it that kept Paul going? He knew that it would end well. It's a promise of God. You, God, you cannot live faithfully for God. 
and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself and get to the end of that and reap corruption. God won't allow that. He will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, in the time of harvest, we will reap if we do not give up. Verse 10, and so then, as we have opportunity, or as often as opportunity is presented to us, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so Paul talks about making the harvest principle work for good and that for ourselves. Indeed, sowing good results in reaping good. It's a good thing. If you get into the practice of it, you'll find that out. Like, this is awesome. But why do you suppose that Jesus ever said, you know, and, and things that our culture would never say, or even religion doesn't say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and so on. Why would he say that? To make you miserable? Of course not. To make you free. What do you do with a man or a woman who loves even her enemies or his enemy? <laughs> that person is completely liberated. Sowing good results and reaping good. That is to say that there is a benefit gained, both in this life and the life to come. There is something to be gained by living this way. In fact, people that live this way, you, one of the things that you'll notice about them is that uh, they're happy. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful. Well, who is merciful? People who are merciful are people who give mercy to people who need mercy. Oftentimes because uh, those people in need of mercy have done something to you. <laughs> and on and on it goes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And on and on it goes. It's a state of blessedness. What we're talking about is not a state of... In fact, that's what the, ir the irony of it is that most people are afraid to live this kind of life because they think they won't like it. You will like it if you commit to it. Uh, but you'll have to do so in trust, especially if you, it doesn't seem to appeal to you at first. You just have to take it by faith and walk with God and find out that His promise is true. But you'll have to trust Him. Then tell Him that, like, Lord, I don't know. This, this life that you're calling to me to sounds pretty scary. He says, fair enough. Just trust me. Get out of the boat and walk with me on the water. Just trust me. And that's the first steps that you may have to take. But sowing good results in reaping good. And so Paul says, and so don't grow weary in doing good. He says, don't give up. Don't stop. Keep sowing Notice verse 9 again. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. It's interesting this harvest principle is found in many places. 
Paul uses it again in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And he uses it in a slightly different way. We don't think about it. We just go, by the way, we just go to the store and buy bread. We've never seen a sower sow, or not most of us. Maybe some of you have. I don't know whether they don't even do it that way anymore. But you, you know, the casting of the seed on the, on the soil that's been prepared. But they did in Jesus' day. Very, very familiar with it indeed. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, he talks about the principle in a slightly different way. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Well, that makes sense. It's again, cause and effect. If you just cast a few seeds, if you, if you keep the seeds in your bag and you don't get them out onto the dirt, then the harvest is going to be as sparse as the sowing. If you ever wondered like, you know, okay, so what's it going to be like for me at the end? What's my harvest going to look like? Well, look at your sowing. If, you're, if you sow sparingly, you will harvest sparingly. Uh, in some cases, perhaps the, the harvest will look rather pathetic. But if we're giving ourselves away and not becoming weary, listen, by the way, you may become weary. This is a word of encouragement. Paul became weary. But he knew the truth and he was constantly encouraging himself with the truth to keep on keeping on and to not give up. But he says to the Corinthians, but whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. <laughs> That's all the more reason to, to sow bountifully. I want to encourage you. As much as you might be tempted. I mean, Jesus said, even a cup of cold water given in my name will not, will not lack its reward. And you serve in VBS, or you serve with the kids, or you serve with youth, or you serve on the vestry. Or when they need you to do something, you, you, uh, you loan them, you, you, you drive the truck, and you dig the hole, and you plant the tree, and you fix the fence, <laughs> and you teach the class. And on and on it goes. And you do the sound. And you fix the lights. I saw a bill for somebody fixed the lights. Didn't even tell me, but I noticed it because there was a bill. And I made sure that it got into the business office. On and on and on. That's sowing good for God and in service to others. And there will be a day of harvest. And the more we live like that, the more we give ourselves away to our spouse, to our children, to our friends, to our enemies, <laughs> there will be a great harvest commensurate with how much of that sowing we have done when the day of harvest comes. And so Paul talks also about this Harvest principle, not only for ourselves, but for others. Notice again, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, in the time of harvest, we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, because there's a day of harvest coming, Paul says, so then, as we have opportunity, or as opportunity presents itself, let us do good to everyone. <laughs> 
Let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so Paul talks about making this harvest principle work good for others. Every chance we get. I think because deep down, and we, 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 we live in a consumer society, and I think in terms of what we value, we value being served more than we value serving others. Unfortunately, it's nice when somebody uh, does something for us. It's wonderful. But as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to serve than be served is what he's saying. Um, but in order for that to be a blessing, I have to have that in my head and in my heart. <laughs> and see other people as an opportunity to do something good. To be something good for them. And so Paul says, in every chance I get. And he says, for everyone. That's everyone in general. Are there some people that you like to serve and other people you don't? Have you got a, have you got a hit list? <laughs> Good night. I mean, it, it, in Romans 5 it says, And God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He dies for his enemies. He gives his, God gives his best for those who are doing their worst. And we get to do that too, to be a source of blessing. In these, in these countries where the gospel is restricted, there's story after story I read about them, and we've got the magazines from Voices of the Martyrs. We get them on a monthly basis. Stories about uh, Christian people who are being persecuted in, in hostile context. And one of the things that uh, sometimes leads to the conversion of those who are doing the abusing is that those who are there are abusing love them back. And they'll tell the story. I led people against this pastor. I led people against this person who worked where I worked who wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Or they didn't talk much about Jesus, but that we knew they were committed to Christ. And so we made things as difficult for that person as we could. And they never resented. They kept on loving as unjust as we were to them, they continued to be just and kind and merciful until I couldn't take it anymore. Because I don't serve a God like that. The God we serve is not a God like that. This, there's something going on in the life of this person that I don't have. And the story will go that this person who led the abuse ends up being converted and becomes a friend of that Christian person who wouldn't fight back. <laughs> Extraordinary. Do good to everyone. Sow good seed in everyone. And then Paul says, and especially sow into the lives of fellow believers. Indeed, if we can't do it here, if we can't love one another here, I suspect it's probably not going, there's not much love going on beyond these walls. And this is important, isn't it? And what did Jesus say? 
We talk about it at least every Monday, Thursday, when we talk about the, the, the novum, novum mandatum, the new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, right? John 13, beginning at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, he says to his disciples, that you love one another. Well, how, Lord? You mean just because it's just because we just like each other so much? It's more than that. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How, Lord? Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Wow. The way Christ loves you is the way that I am to lie, love others. The way Christ loves me. I say this every once in a while to God. And I get a little annoyed. And then I kind of chuckle and I say, Lord, I know you get annoyed with me. If you can take it, I'm supposing I can take it too. I love what Nicky Gumbo said that when he was defining uh, uh, mercy. To practice mercy toward others. He said, mercy is the exact opposite of finding fault. <laughs> you find fault with people? Stop it. Do you have any faults? All right. Then stop it already. You know what they call that? It's hypocrisy. Hey, listen. Are you harder on others than you are on yourself? Stop it. <laughs> That's not how God loves you. God bends over backwards. Indeed, he puts his hands out and lets, lets the soldiers nail him to the cross that you might be saved free of charge. And Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. He said it in the context of him washing the disciples' feet. Doing what was considered, in fact, they wouldn't wash each other's feet. They wouldn't even wash their own feet. That was slave work. <laughs> and so Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and washed their feet. A new commandment I give to you, you, my followers, to love one another, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And this is it here, right? And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Maybe that's why they don't know we're his disciples, because we don't have the characteristics of disciples. We're just like, kind of like everybody else with a little religion. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples when you love one another the way I love you. Arthur Middleton, in his book, Toward a Renewed Priesthood, he wrote this. He said, in order to understand any teaching, any doctrine, a person must conform his life to it. Listen to that again. In order to understand any teaching, any doctrine, any truth, a person must conform his life to it. I, 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 you know what clericalism is? Clericalism is when both the clergy and people believe that they're in a special category where things in the Bible and the teachings of Jesus apply to them in a way it doesn't apply to your average run-of-the-mill believer. That's a lie, by the way. There aren't that many clergy. But there are a lot of people who call themselves Christian. The question is, are those people living it 
both the clergy and the lay in the way that Christ calls us to live it. In order to understand any teaching or any doctrine, a person must conform his life to it. That's an abundant knowing. And so I wonder, what will you do with the things that you have heard this morning? Somebody once in a while say, oh, you know, that was a good talk. I said, well, I got great material. I don't make this stuff up. I just try to understand it, and then I present it to you. What will you do this morning with the things that you have heard? You're a believer. Are you committed? The harvest principle. Let us pray. Whatever it is, Lord, that would keep us from not being committed with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, <laughs> remove it. Or give us the eyes to see that whatever it is that's holding us back is holding us back. Whether it is some idol or some wrong thinking, some pet sin that comforts us and helps us maybe deal with things that seem too hard to deal with in a more straightforward manner. All of these things are just false gods that can never satisfy. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts even as you open the heart of Lydia to see things anew and to feel things anew. We talk about repentance, which means to change the mind and, to, and therefore to change our lives. But as one person put it, we spend all too much time just defending our innocence. And so we just never change because we won't be honest with ourselves or with others about what life is really like for us. And so enlighten us, Lord. It's too easy for it just to roll off our lips to say that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all things have become new. How, for how many of us, Lord, is that true that all things have become new? Are we just the same and have been for years and years and years. And so, Lord, in your mercy and your grace, change us. Spark something in us, perhaps today, that's never been sparked in us before, that this harvest principle might become something that revolutionizes our lives, even as it splashes all over the lives of those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.